Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Veth, and today it's just two of us. Tim, how are you doing? Good morning, Manu. It's great because we're today recording a podcast a little bit later than we usually do, not like 6 a.m., so I feel very excited, very energetic. Uh, it's sad that Andrew wasn't able to join us, but we still contribute some in- interesting material about the Russian Premier League. Yeah, I mean, we have, we have a whole host of different things to discuss today. Um, starting, of course, with this minor event of the transfer window closing, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm honest with you. I, I am super excited. It's finally closed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just means we can focus on, on football rather than like all these, you know, um, discussions about players going to A and B and etc. Even though it's really exciting, you know, there's a place and a time for everything. I feel and right now I, f- I really feel like it's time to, for, for players to actually play some football rather than talking <laughs> moves. But um, we do have a whole list of final transfers to go through. Um, thankfully, we have Transfermarkt.de, right, where, where it's all listed. But... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so a few that we actually kind of hinted on um, last week already. Manuel Fernandez, for example, to Krasnodar. That deal is went through, Tim. Yeah, it's done. He signed one plus one contract. Manuel Fernandez, like we mentioned last week, he is out of contract with Lokomotiv, and he was looking for um, different stages of his career. He was he had an opportunity to go to Turkey, but he stayed uh, with Krasnodar, which is obviously a great uh, addition to Krasnodar squad. Yeah, because he's he's obviously top player. Like we mentioned, he was the key uh, orchestrator of Lokomotiv's champions when the, the Lokomotiv became champions, and um, player of that quality is obviously will be um, addition to Krasnodar. Uh, he is already well thirty four, something like that. He's thirty plus years, so that's why I assume it's one plus one. Uh, so, but still, it's definitely an improvement of Krasnodar, especially given how many injuries uh, they have in that area of the field. So that's great transfer. Yeah, I think I think Krasnodar fans should be excited about this one. Yeah, I, I think also it's a, a proven player, right? Like someone who knows the league already. It's really, really easy for him to just come in, slot in, problem solved. So 
exactly uh, make, makes a lot of sense um then we have alex kral jack slovak and no i do know those are two different countries he just happens to have passports of both countries uh defensive midfielder from slavia prague um uh, mm -hmm. i have to i have to admit don't know too much about him but he was expensive 12 million euros Tim. Yeah, he, he, he joined Spartak, uh, my team, and uh, Spartak was looking for a defensive midfielder. Uh, originally, they went for the bid for Kral. Uh, I think the original bid was somewhere around like five, six million. And that bid was uh, declined because Spartak, uh, you know, they were qualifying for the, for the Champions League and they have big plans. Uh, then Spartak... Uh, um, switched uh, their um, focus on France and they tried to uh, to get a couple of players from France and actually one player uh, even everything was agreed on a personal level and then he was supposed to show up for the medical but Spartak traveled and then he never arrived and then uh, his name his name was Tamez I think he was from Nice uh, because he went somewhere else and then Spartak uh, was kind of out of options because the the situation in France didn't work out, so when they went back to crawl and they ended up buying the player for I think it's somewhere between eleven and twelve million. So that means they pretty much doubled the original bid, and that's what uh, triggered the transfer. Um, he is a he's an interesting looking character. He looks like David Luiz, and when they uh, Slavia Prague played like Chelsea. They made this funny picture. They changed the shirts and they made the picture together with David Luiz. So it's, um, well, yes, <laughs> it, it's, it, I think it's good humor. And, um, yeah, apparently I haven't seen him play much. Um, I've watched his highlights and probably seen him play for Slavia Prague in Europa League last year, but I don't really remember. But, um, apparently he is, he is the player who might approve Spartak. Spartak really need uh, that player in defensive middle field to, kind of work uh, together with Roman Zobnin, who plays more box-to-box -box than 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 original defensive midfielder. So adding him to the uh, squad is interesting. And you know what? What interesting moment. Uh, you know, like usually professional footballers, they, they have the social media page, and I don't know if they run by social media manager or whatever, but it's so funny that, for example, I sent him a message on Instagram and just welcome into Spartak and congratulating, and he responded to me. And as uh, a few other people did, and so it's 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 you know something different that you know that uh, a player and he said the spasiba in Russian, which means thank you. So it really looks like he's excited about the transfer. He's he said that he you know excited to, to join Spartak. It's a big club, and then that he you know he really opens up like and spends time to you know to communicate with fans, which is also a good sign. So it's so far it sounds like an interesting transfer, but see the result on the field yeah and definitely an interesting character i i like it when players actually attempt to like you know make an effort uh -huh. on social media like write a line like how hard can it be right um so, so oftentimes i think these things are run by, by social media agencies and um very very detached from from what's actually happening so good for him. I'm really curious to see him. I mean, Spartak spent a lot of money. We're going into some financial details in a moment, but 42, uh, 42 million euros spent, uh, was a big outlay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Better get some results because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that money is like, you know, that money is, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, anyhow, um, we also got Lucas Santos to CSKA. Now, that sounds like a very exciting player. We both kind of looked at this transfer and was like, that name sounds familiar, probably because every second Brazilian is named <laughs> Lucas Santos uh, at CSKA. A player who's worth 50,000 euros on loan from Fasco. Now, CSKA has had some good experience with bringing in no-name Brazilians um, on loan. They do know what they're doing when it comes to targeting those sort of players, don't they? Exactly, absolutely right. For example, a perfect example was Bicao, who yeah. was so who was bought last year for like peanuts. Well, we obviously talking football money, and uh, nobody knew him who he was. And then he was sold to Udinese, and now he plays in Serie A, and for a lot of money, like well, a bit, a lot of money compared to how much money he was purchased for originally. And then you know, there's so many different stories how they found uh, Wagner Love, Jo. Um, like there's so many great stories, like even Mario Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have very good scouting system in South America, and they're known for really looking for those players and developing them. Yeah, of course, like they had a few flops, but like that's football. That's that's how transfer business works. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But that's you know even like yeah, I don't know much about this player. It's still interesting because it's got proven the record of bringing players from Brazil who end up being successful. So um, we will take, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where he plays uh, and how he fits in. But it looks like, I don't know, wh- why is it alone? Is it just, it was just like to, just to give him a year to adjust or maybe, you know, I, I don't really know why is it alone, but uh, we'll see. But uh, again, it's got proven. They do. They know Brazilian market, so he must be good. We will we'll, we'll take a look and we'll keep keep an eye on him. Yeah, definitely an interesting player. Um, very short left midfield. I think we'll probably be talking about him pretty soon. Just just a just a gut feeling a little bit, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, really curious. You know, another curious transfer. Um, Yacheslav Karaev. Uh, sorry, Karavayev from um, Vitesse Arnhem, so Chelsea's farm team, to and Leonid Slutsky too. Leonid Slutsky's team to Zenit for pretty decent money, eight million euros. Um, I guess Russian national team player, right back, mm-hmm. and um, you know, improves Zenit's overall. Let me just check how many foreigners they have at the moment because that, that has been an issue for them, hasn't it? Yeah, they have yeah. 11 legionaries um, at the moment. So that, I guess, helps them with the squad composition a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, especially for for the next year. Zenit has done quite a few transfers like that. They brought uh, Karavayev, which I'll talk a little bit later, but they also brought the player, uh, his last name is Krugavoy, and also Vasutin. They're, both of them are... Um, um, their academy uh, products, so that also helps with their Champions League uh, plans, like a uh, squad. But also just going forward, because we will have a different um, foreigners rule uh, starting next season, and um, it will be completely different approach uh, to compare to what they have now. And pretty much, it's eight plus seventeen. That means that you can have you need to have seventeen Russians and eight foreigners, and all of them can play at the same time. For example, all I mean, all foreigners can play at the same time. Unlike right now, where you, when you can have only six uh, on the field, but um, uh, that rule completely changes to you just look at overall squad of how many foreign, foreigners you can uh, have, and they can all play at the, at the same time, regardless. Yeah. So it's it's actually this rule has been slightly criticized because each team 
needs to have 17 Russian players. And looking at the Premier League right now, it's a little bit about 200, like 17 by 16. That's a little bit over 200 players. So if we look at the league right now, there's no that many, you know, you don't have that many Russian players. So really, clubs will, we will see that more and more often happening that, you know, that people will be looking to, to, to bring and especially, uh, you know, for Karabayev is a perfect example. He played uh, abroad and he has been successful in Czech Republic and in Holland and the, he, yeah, he also national team player. So that's, that transfer makes complete sense. Um, that another transfer, which we just mentioned, and exactly, I added it to the list today only because of that reason, because the player called Listsov, who played in Benfica, not the main Benfica, the Benfica youth, uh, he returned to Kryle Soviet. Again, you see that pattern of some yeah. young players uh, coming back for a fairly low money. So I, I think we will see more of that, especially players with a little bit of European experience. They're still fairly cheap, young, promising. So we will see a few transfers like that. And I'm pretty sure, you know, like we have those players, Amado, which you are familiar, more familiar than I am, that uh, players in, in Germany mm-hmm. have a dual citizenship. And I'm, I'm expect a couple of those players maybe all, also come back to Russia just uh, because they have Russian passports. Yeah, the, the Volga Germans, right? Because we have so many exactly. of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a few that come to mind. We have seen a few already go. Um, uh-huh. Neustädter, for example, right? Rausch. They Rausch, great ex- yeah. examples. Um, there's, there's a young player called Alexander Merkel who's mm-hmm. been bouncing around, um, who was once one of the biggest talents in German football and has been now bouncing around lower teams because I guess, um, it just never really worked out, but he, he would be a great example too. Is this, is this rule still, because in the past it used to be that, um, the Russian citizenship on its own wasn't enough. You also had to be actually eligible to play for Russia, right? Or is it just Russian, Russian citizenship now? Yeah, that's oof, that's a good question. Actually, I don't know the answer because you're absolutely right. That the, if you had a dual citizenship, for example, Ukrainian yeah. and Russian, but your choice was you to play for Ukrainian national team, you were still foreigner. So yeah. uh, that's actually a good question. We need to look into that and um, yeah, come back to the listeners with that question. Um, I assume probably nothing has changed. I see. Yeah, because like that makes it really tricky, right? Um, yeah, you do player pool. Although then at the same time, you, you look at clubs like Zenit that have actually a good youth academy, but never really utilize it. Maybe mm-hmm. they actually have to dip in it a little bit into it. Um, but yeah, yeah they, what they usually do, they usually sell or uh, lend those players on loan. And then they try to bring them back after they get some experience. Spartak actually does the same thing. Yeah. So uh, they organize it in a contract that they have like the, the first rule, the first right of buying like a special deal a special price to go back um so yeah so like we will especially i think in the summer before that transfer uh, yeah. changes rule happens we will take a look it's really interesting really interesting one to follow um tashaev to rubin uh it's a loan um, yeah yeah i mean tashaev has been a bit of a character <laughs> and rubin has been a bit of a character club you know with the, the rebuild so um, interesting transfer. Yeah, it never worked out for him, unfortunately, at Spartak. He, he's yeah. a young, promising player. He played a few games for national team, was brilliant in Dynamo, but never worked out for him at Spartak with different coaches because he was still brought by Massimo Carrera. Mm. N- never worked out for him. So maybe that just is an opportunity for him to play uh, in a young, very young uh, yeah. team right now, Robin, and maybe 
be a little bit more experienced than the rest of the team and be the leader and maybe that will help him too. So, so that's a quick yeah. loan. We'll see how that works out. Lots of turnover at, um, at Rubin. Lots of turnover at Dynamo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, f they have found, uh, they found a fountain of money somewhere, I tell you. Igbon from Ufa to Dinamo, it's another loan, but Dinamo have been very active, um, considering where they were just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how many, like, uh, their coach, Dmitry Hochlov, pretty much said that we built a completely yeah. new team, which is, yeah, pretty much accurate. So, But still, the, the results are their place in the table, and we'll talk a little bit about that, that it, they're still in the bottom half of the table, so all their spending really doesn't really correlate with the position in the table, and we still wait for how long, uh, you know, Dmitry Khakhlov will stay in, in his job, or yeah. maybe hopefully he will, what, hopefully for Dynamo fans, he will change things around, but uh, now is a two-week um, national team break, so that's a good opportunity for him mm, to work with all the new players and um, you know fix fix things because yeah the the amount of spending how much money they spend compared to the position is just like 33 million for 16 new players 16 16 wow. that's that's a lot of new sign that's a lot of players to integrate exactly it's, yeah. yeah so um Then we have Mavriai to Sochi and we're both laughing <laughs> before the podcast because this is the eighth player from Sinit to Sochi this summer. I, I mean, are they even, they're just, they're just laughing at us, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I like how you call this Gazprom three. So a transfer <laughs> of eight players from Gazprom round to Gazprom three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like this probably has been that in football history, but I don't think it has been probably often, but like eight players going from one club to another that's a little bit you know interesting so eight uh, former Zenit players reunited in Sochi and pretty much they now have total monopoly <laughs> in the starting lineup of um, FC Sochi so Mevle is the latest arrival and um, <laughs> yeah so we were just just laughing yeah so FC Sochi is pretty much yeah yeah well we, if it's even worse if you add uh, Evgeny Frolov the keeper who designed from Orenburg um, also known as Gazprom too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yes. It's, it's pretty funny. It is actually pretty funny because like the team is very much made out of pretty much the, all the Zenit re rejects. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I guess, just how it is with Sochi. We'll see how, we'll see if the strategy actually is going to work for them because. You know, they're in the relegation zone. I'm pretty sure they, the Russian government and everyone involved at the club wants to keep them up because of that World Cup stadium, right? Mm -hmm. We talk so often about World Cup stadiums and the importance of having the World Cup stadiums being filled with, um, Russian Premier League teams. So it will be really interesting how they get on. Um, Igor Sorokin to Krasnodar, but he will stay at, uh, stays at Rubin until the end of the season. So that's, that's the transfer that we kind of predicted, isn't it? Yeah, we spoke about it last week. It, it's the transfer just makes complete sense for Krasnodar. Again, see a young player, like uh, a young promising player for a fairly low amount of money, given that he is already has been considered uh, as a for, for the national team. Uh, I think it's four million euros. He goes to Krasnodar next summer, but he will spend the rest of the season in, in, in Rubin. He has been playing for Rubin fairly consistently. He scored five goals last year. He is fairly uh, good on set pieces. So just 
a young, promising uh, Russian centre-back with uh, some talent. Transfer which made complete sense uh, for Krasnodar. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, we were right last last week. Yeah. Um, th there's, a, there's a couple other topics on it, but I'm going to stick with transfers for a moment here, Tim. Mm -hmm. um, a bit that would may have made a lot of sense for Zenit, but not a lot of sense for Lokomotiv. Zenit's bidding 45 million for the Miranchuk brothers. Now, of course, if, when you think about the Huofornas rule coming in, that makes a lot of sense for Zenit. You want, you want to have basically all the best Russian players mm -hmm. at that club. Like, that's been their strategy. And I guess now they're like, okay, well, we need 17 of them. So you might as well sign everyone who's available, right? 45 million for, for the Miranchuk brothers. Okay. That makes sense for Zenit. It's a good investment, in my opinion, if you get them both. But if you locomotive, I would never, ever, ever allow this to happen. Exactly. No, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how I think the whole process worked because I was surprised because that bid went publicly and both sides confirmed it. Oh, and, wow. uh, so it was strange like that the, uh, like, you know, the sporting director of Lokomotiv, Kiknadze, he said, yeah, there was, a, we had a conversation. We decided to put it to bed for now. But, um, like, I don't know what happens in the future. And then Zenit also, uh, like, their, their, their leader, Medvedev, also said that, yeah, we, we talked to, to Lokomotiv. It was so, like, usually those transfers are trying to be quiet. So they're not even making it quiet because probably we're talking about so much money that there's no real competition. <laughs> you know, like, nobody else in Russia has $45 million just to bid for, for two players. Um, so, yeah, and uh, Miranchuk Brothers, they also, you know, Obviously, like most of Russian players say that they would like to go to play in Europe, but not that many actually go. So I think if they will really get this significant offer, I think they will consider. And um, we, like for now, both clubs said that this conversation stopped and obviously, you know, the transfer window is closed. But the, we shouldn't be surprised if uh, if this rumor will reappear again and maybe the transfer transfer will actually go through. But yeah, for Lokomotiv, it doesn't really make sense to sell them for well, they they like they, they are the they're probably the leaders of the team. Yeah. Not probably they are the leaders of the team. They're young, young, talented players, and you can build the whole team for the next decade around them. So it has to be a big, big, big offer for Lokomotiv to to agree. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised that it went so public, and both officials, uh, representatives of the, of the team, confirmed that there was a conversation between clubs about this transfer. So I expect this to reappear sometime in the future, and we'll see how that happens because it will be a big transfer for Russia. Well, it will rip, but it will rip the heart out of locomotive. You know, to stay with the locomotive theme, it will it will destroy the engine. Um, exactly. Yeah, you, exactly. You can't. I, I mean, that's just not smart business, in my opinion, because. Mm -hmm. I get it when, when players want to go abroad, but to sell your two best players to a, your competitor like that, um, especially with the, the rule changes coming in. Yeah. I, I mean, and Loco are not a poor club. I mean, we're talking about a club that just signed Joe Mario, right? Mm -hmm. Um, brought in like players like Grichoriak, um, has the ability to attract a world champion like Benedict Hovedes, you know? <laughs> Uh, I'm glad Andre not on, not on today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I brought it up anyways. I, I thought it was, it was fitting. Um, th this is not a club that's cheap. I, I mean, they are owned by, just like Sunita owned by Gazprom, they're owned by the Russian Railway, right? They're owned by a, mm -hmm. a resource-based company. So 
uh, yeah, this I don't know if this would make much sense for them. It would be not a very wise sporting decision, in my opinion. But uh, we'll see. Exactly, because they really the, the majority of the football game goes for them, like especially yeah. in attack. If they're gone, they will stay with uh, well pensioner Jefferson Farfan, who is a great player, but he can't really build a future around just yeah. the Jefferson Farfan. Fedor Smolov. And that's kind of it, like in terms of just like players who really define locomotive and attack. So, I found eventually finish. Uh, Manuel Fernandez is already gone. And if you sell Timber and Chuck Brothers, then you pretty much need to be to buy the whole uh, attacking line. And, you know, to build the whole attacking line of 45 millions, not that much because, like, yeah. really, it will be three, four really good players. But is it enough to build? Yeah, so, yeah, it's. I agree with you. It's uh, strategy-wise, it's not the best. It does look like a smart decision. Yeah, no, it really isn't. Um, of course, that would have brought up the entire spending uh, up significantly. Um, but as the dust settles, two hundred thirty-four point eight two million euros spent. Uh, so that's roughly two point eight million dollars, right? Uh, two hundred eighty million dollars. That's the most. Spent since the 2013-14 season, Tim, when Russian clubs paid 322.8 million. Um, we kind of mentioned it with Dynamo, a fountain of money. Where's all, where's all this money coming from? Because for years we had austerity, right? We had like in 2014-15, it was 88.5 million euros, then 15-16, 40 million euros, and then it slightly went back up again to 123.4, 156. Million, 127.9 million euros, and now to 234. But there was a few austerity years, especially, you know, right after the, the conflict in Ukraine started, um, and there was a bunch of sanctions placed on the club. Yeah. Um, is this just Russian football recovering from this, or is this just individual stories, or, you know, we know Sinit has spent a lot more money. Um, what's going on? Yeah, it's noticeably the uh, Russian club spent more money in this window than in the past, like you said, since 2013-14. It's, it's, it, and it's noticeable because lots of uh, big players arrived, like you know, Jean-Mario, Schurle, mm -hmm. Maximilian Philip. Those people not going to come here just because they love Russia and passionate about their new clubs. They, you need to pay them salary and you need to buy them. Um, we are like, to be quite honest, it has to be something economical, political, that the money were so much money were spent, but again, we need to keep in mind that the ninety percent of this uh, funding was spent by six clubs, the six big clubs, which we, you know, which we know, uh, know it's Zenit, Spartak, uh, Lokomotiv, Krasnodar, Dynamo. Uh, so those, and I, in my opinion, all those stories are slightly different. They all have their own. Mm, a vision because Dynamo got a brand new sponsor and they got just you know just pretty much money uh, to to buy the players and to like we said to make this project attractive attractive to make people go to the Dynamo Stadium. Uh, Zenit pretty much purchased Malcolm and uh, Douglas Santos and they really just improving for the Champions League. Same story with Krasnodar who really they qualified for the playoffs to qualify qualification to Champions League and they really spent and they I think they spent some, somewhere around 30 million and bought, brought in quite a few players. Again, they, their bid was to get it to the Champions League group, didn't work out but I think that was the strategy. Uh, Spartak pretty much sold the old team and bought the new team completely. So, again, it's a rebuild. 
And uh, Lokomotiv also, they just like improving for the Champions League. So they brought Jao Mario, a couple other players. So I think every story is separate. Uh, there's, so I can see the strategy be, be, beside, behind every story. Uh, but to me, it's surprising where the money came and really like, you know, Russia has uh, teams playing every year in Champions League, but for some reason in the past years, clubs didn't spend like 40 or 50 millions. So the money wasn't there. Looks like the money are there now and um, teams are improving. And that means that the league is getting stronger. Yeah, I think it's also a sign um, because like the sanctions hit, Russia hit, Russia hit an economic <laughs> crisis. And I think, you know, the crisis is, is over despite the sanctions still being in place. The Russian government has found ways to kind of go around it, right? So spending is just up maybe in general. It's just a reflection of what's going on. And yes, it's the, it's the top clubs only, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, it's always the top clubs that spend the most money in any, <laughs> in any league in the, in the world, right? Um, so yeah, it's an interest, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's an interesting one. Maybe to keep an eye on and see if this, the spending continues, um, especially in the winter, right? I mean, we just said it. If, if Sunit had paid that 45 million for the Miranchuk brothers or thereabouts, we'd be close to 300 million, which was like the most spent by Russian clubs. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's an interesting that the economy is bounced back because you can, when you look at the graph that was published by Sports RU, you can really see the big spending conflict in Ukraine started, all the, the sanctions hit. Spending went all the way down because the ruble also um, deflated. Remember, that was yeah. the whole crisis with the Russian clubs. All of a sudden, had to like change the salaries of a bunch of players because of like financial problems, etc. So maybe the austerity is just over. And you, you said it, Jumario, for example, they didn't even that doesn't even factor in here because they loaned him, but they still have to pay his salary. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, he's not gonna come there for very cheap. Same with Shirley. Uh, Philip, these are the kind of transfers that we saw Russian clubs doing before the the economic problem started, right? With the with the sanctions, and now all of a sudden that that time seems to be over. So, yeah, really, really interesting development. I always feel like football is such an interesting gauge on how to judge the overall economy, especially when when football clubs are intertwined with the economy, like it is the case in Russia, because so many clubs are a state owned or owned by people that make money in the resource based industries, right? Which is Russia's lifeblood, right? That's where the money comes from. Yeah. Like Gazprom or Lacoil. Yeah. Uh, so all those, yeah, all those, yeah, it's all resource based, based and, um, yeah, like it's a massive corporations and, uh, this is, this is, yeah, they sponsor the, the clubs. So yeah, yeah, I can see that how this is going, and yeah, you, you, I think you're right in uh, linking that to the to the ruble, to the to the to the Ukrainian conflict and to sanctions. So I guess yeah, well, it's good, definitely good for the league uh, because the league gets more competitive and uh, stronger. You get better players. Uh, that means hopefully it will be uh, will also bring uh, better results in Europe, again because you have players uh, like that. So overall, good news. Uh, but yeah, we'll see if the strength continues and. Uh, Winter winter, oh, sorry, winter window is usually a bit slower. Uh, but again, like we discussed already today, uh, the next year the foreigners rule changes. And, um, so we will see again more, uh, more of the, cl- of the clubs will need to sell their foreigners, um, to fit in into the new rule and to bring more Russians. So, yeah. uh, again, that high cups hikes up, uh, play, uh, prices for Russian players. So that's why some business players doing the business right now. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, as you said, is this the big clubs that are spending big 
Not every club is financially healthy, though. Rostov, um, we had some news that they weren't able to build, um, pay their bills for their World Cup stadium, which is managed by Sports In, and apparently that company manages all the stadiums in Russia. But that seems pretty much resolved now, right, Tim? Yeah, it looks like Rostov. They yeah, they had they were behind some bills to pay rent to play on the Rostov Arena, which is doesn't belong to the club. Belongs, like you said, to the company called Sportin. There's also a big concert by the one of the biggest Russian rock band called Leningrad. They're playing the show on the arena, so that there was a little bit of conflict. But 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 yeah, like we saw the Andrew posted in our group chat the link to the English media, and again, like it looked like they're just trying to clickbait and to really. Mm, really just like to make a little bit more out of the situation than it is and saying that, yeah, the Russia doesn't use the World Cup champions and they don't allow to play the clubs on the World Cup arenas. But yeah, you kind of have to pay bills if, if this is, yeah. if this is the contract. If, if you're renting from the company to play in, on football on your stadium, so you probably should be paying bills and <laughs> the rent. That's how it works in majority of businesses. Yeah. Also, it's, it's rust off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you have a little bit of an attachment to Rostov because of family, Tim, but it is FC Rostov. It's, this is the club that, that, that went, came second in the league without paying the players for six months. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they, they, they think it's normal business, business. Like if we came to Champions League without playing the players, so maybe we can get away with the same thing without paying the stadium and still play. Yeah. So. I mean, this is because like the article did say like Russia's World Cup legacy is a question. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a story about a club not paying his bills, not Russia ruining up their World Cup legacy. I mean, all the other clubs are managing to pay their bills, so yeah, yeah no, it, this is this is a Rostov specific story, not a World Cup legacy story. <laughs> exactly, and actually, I want to come back to that uh, World Cup legacy. It's so much pleasure to watch the highlights of Russian league right now. Usually five, six games out of the match, they played on gorgeous stadiums, yeah. which are sometimes like half full, sometimes full. Like the attendances went up. The the TV picture is absolutely gorgeous. Well, compared to what we had before when we had uh, Amkar and Tom and clubs of that nature playing and even the favorite Dynamite Hinky. Really, like you're watching the highlights, and it's really like it's it's a, it's a quality TV product. It's it's uh, like uh, I don't think like the World Cup legacy should be in question. Mm. I think it should be really celebrated because like um, we're not gonna go into details about all the financials and everything else. What usually the the British media likes to go into, but purely as a fan of Russian league. You watch, you watch the picture. It's beautiful. Stadiums are beautiful. The fields are, are beautiful. Like we never had this. I was, I've been watching Russian football since 1991. And I remember playing when they played on absolutely like in the mud, like yeah. literally in the mud. And, and right now you have this, like, pff, I don't think the World Cup legacy should be in any question. Well, and just look at the money that was spent by clubs. I mean, yeah. like it, it helps attracting <laughs> players too. If they, if you can actually have them play and, I mean, there's the stadiums. I would say from infrastructure that it can keep up with any of the top four. Certainly of Italy, you know, their infrastructure there is very poor right now. Yeah. Um, and same with Spain. So like, you know, really the only two leagues of the top four leagues where the stadium infrastructure is maybe not, is maybe better is really England and Germany and Europe. Well, in France. And France. Yeah. Of course. Europe. Yeah. France. Of course. France is, has a, has a gorgeous football stadium infrastructure. I mean, I did the women's world cup there and it's just, yeah, brilliant. So really, but like Spain and Italy is like, it's not behind. that great. Yeah. Very much behind. 
So, um, and that also, of course, helps you attracting talent. Um, you know, not everyone is Barcelona or Real Madrid. Some teams yeah. are not. So, yeah, really, really interesting. And I think it's good that we point this out because the World Cup legacy is much more than Rostov. Um, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of one legacy of the World Cup, and we had, we had kind of laughed about this, the VR. I, I call it VR World Cup legacy every day. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. The clubs are not happy how it's being handled. Um, yeah, I, I'm still on the board that if you are having VR in the league, every game has to have it. <laughs> Yeah, which makes complete sense, and it's perfect sportsmanship, but not not in Russia again. <laughs> so there was a, before the national team break, uh, they had a big meeting with all the pretty much head hunters of uh, football clubs. Uh, had a meeting with the referee department, and um, there was quite a few pretty much open um, well statements, like interviews after after that session, that they said that the clubs said really we're not happy because um, Russian refereeing. Um, organization has the new boss. His, uh, his name is Yegorov. He used to be a former referee and now he is uh, managing all the referees in, in the country, in the league, sorry. And, um, and people are not happy. Like the clubs are not happy because there's so many mistakes and they don't really talk about, they talk about pure mistakes uh, that, uh, you know, that, uh, what the referees make. And unfortunately, yeah, there was like, there was quite a few big mistakes, big, uh, which happened in the beginning of the season. Um, a few big clubs really uh, asked him to, you know, to 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 leave the the job. Um, then also clubs are not very happy that you know that some uh, games have VR, some doesn't. Like it's, it's just crazy. Like imagine if some something happens like that, that in two clubs arrive to the end of the league, and that one club they are on the same points, and one club got the extra point because they got the VR. Uh, or like something like yeah. that. So like, so like the other clubs say, listen, like if we would have had, a, we, we can find a moment where if we would have had VR, we would have been on ahead of on the point, something like that. Like it's it's not sportsmanship. So yeah, uh, and so, especially if you look at the Russian table right now. I mean, we're going to talk yeah. about that in a moment, but <laughs> you know, like that that could really make a difference. Yeah, for example, like we were talking about Spartak's unique game, and yeah. Spartak uh, scored the goal which was ruled out correctly by VAR. But if VR wasn't there, let's say Spartak won the game and it's a completely different story and situation. And then Zenit can say, listen, like if we would have had the VR, the game would have, would have went completely different. So like you can understand the frustration of the clubs with the referees and everything else. So we, we need to keep a look at this because this might happen because the clubs, like I said, were very, very unhappy. And the few commentaries which were after that session, uh, I think it was, uh, Andrew Friend, uh, from Moral. Grigori, I think it was Grigori Ivanov, but somebody else, I think it was him. But he said it was it was a conversation of of angry men, and nobody really hidden what they went to say. They were actually open, and, and it was a heated conversation. So, <laughs> so like you know, imagine very um, wealthy and very big egos, sixteen owners of a football club, and they all like fighting. Oof, I don't want to be in that party. Oh no, I do want to be in that party. That'd be great. <laughs> be absolutely great. Um, but yeah, you already mentioned the, the table, Tim. So let's go over the results real quick and then we'll have to discuss this table because it's, whew, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, the, the results, Kurelia Sovetov 0-0 against Dynamo Moscow. Um, we had Ufa lose 1-2 to Orenburg. Rubin losing to Zenit 3. Uh, that's Sochi. <laughs> Lokomotive 1-2 to Rostov. Can't pay the bills, but can get results on the pitch. Krasny 1-1. <laughs> 
One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. <laughs> Arsenal one two to CSK and Spartak Sinit, as you mentioned, uh one nil to Sinit. And that's pretty much where I wanna kick it right off. The table is very tight still. Spartak are now sixth, but they're still only three points behind first place Krasnodar. Krasnodar, Sinit, Rostov all on seventeen points in the very top. Then there's CSKA Moscow with sixteen. And Lokomotiv with 14 as well. And then even Arsenal Tula on 13 points, only four points behind first place. So seventh to first spot within four points. Um, you already had that kind of situation last week. The results, very mixed results mean that it's pretty much stayed the same. And I mean, that made that Zenit Spartak game a huge affair. Um, so you lost that game, unfortunately, Tim. You're very lucky Saul Pope couldn't make it today. <laughs> yeah. So you're a little bit off the hot seat, but, um, the table is so tight. And as you said, the VER decision affected it this time because if they had split points, that would have made everything look very different. Exactly. Exactly. Again, going back to that VER conversation, Spartak scored the goal in the end of the first half. Um, Selimhan Bagaev, uh, yeah, had, um, yeah, touched the ball with his hand and then scored the goal, uh, which is really, like when watching live, I didn't see that. So obviously, you know, watching TV is different. Uh, but you know what? What if the referee would have would have missed it? So Spartak would probably finished the first half one nothing, and it would have been a completely different game. But then Zenit, Yuzhirkov, who is thirty six years old, just to remind you, Zhirkov still was a part of this team uh, in two thousand eight, which uh, came uh, mm -hmm. to the semi final of Euros. He was there. He's still playing, and he scored a crucial goal and a beautiful goal. Um, not really a wally, but like a, a, a good-looking goal. And Zenit um, were leading one nothing. The game, to be honest, it has the the energy, it has the drama of uh, the of 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 the derby match. But to be honest, like the actual game wasn't really great. It wasn't really enjoyable. Um, but but obviously, like the emotions were there. And in the end of the match, um, Georgi Jike and Magomed Avzdoev had a a bit of a fight on the field, and that became a story because it was quite quite aggressive. But the next day, they have both they had both to arrive to the national team camp to get ready for the national team games. And Stanislav Cherchesov had to make a little statement saying that when they arrived, I just got them both into my office, calmed them down, and told them they listen. What happened? What happened? It wasn't very nice. You national team players, you can't really set this example. But now you are in the, in the same team, so you have to be friends again. So. So yeah, so it was the game was emotional. Um, don't, not that many chances, but uh, Zenit walked away with with uh, with three points, and like you said, that makes a uh, pretty much an important uh, situation for for the table right now. But you know, on the other hand, like it doesn't really matter that much yet because like look at this table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, next week it, or two weeks from now, because we have an international break. Um, it could be all so very different. It's, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating situation. Really interesting league to watch, um, for that. So, um, 
I was listening to to a podcast, uh, and then Julian Laurent was saying how the French is like the most uh, competitive league in Europe right now because after three games they had four teams on nine points and said, "Listen, buddy, look at the Russian Premier League." Yeah, this is where the the, the tightest league in, in the Europe right now. Yeah, nice try, buddy, but no, no, no. <laughs> we we the the tightest league in Europe lives on this podcast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I I'm really looking forward to the, the next set of matches um, after the, the the break because I mean it really kind of will determine um, where it all goes, and you know the big boys are all playing against teams that. A beatable. So it could actually look very much the same after, after the, that match day as well. So yeah. But, but we also mentioned, we said about this many times on the podcast because of how many years we've been doing this, but that's sometimes it's uh, the way the league works because you play two thirds of the season before yeah. Christmas and then one third after. So sometimes the team which is really leading the pack after the, after the first half of the season, um, can really be like, you know, get ready for like you know set it up set themselves up for, for the championship so it's very very crucial sometimes when the team is leading like six points that's a big big gap advantage before after the christmas we saw that with zenith we saw that with spartak and with even like Matif as well when they uh, were going so yeah, so that's that, it's a sprint right after winter it's a it's exactly. a marathon to the break and a sprint after so yeah um yeah it's it's interesting but you know, um, the, another factor that's going to come in very soon, unfortunately not for your team, Tim, because you <laughs> didn't make the Europa League, which is shocking, but, um, it's also, you know, Saul Pope said, um, a good old Spartak tradition not to qualify for Europe when they're in the playoffs. Um, yeah. don't want to dwell on it too much because it's harsh. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, but we do have the Europa League groups and let's go over those briefly because I do want to spend a bit more time on the Champions League groups instead. But Dynamo, Kiev, um, Spartak are out, but Dynamo, Kiev got Lugano, Malmo, Copenhagen. I would say overall, that's a group that Dynamo, Kiev should manage. Uh, yeah. 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 So, sounds good. Yeah. I think that's, um, a very manageable group, an interesting group. Um, very Northern European. Um, good for traveling for them. Switzerland in there as well. Lugano. Yeah. Interesting. Then Krasnoda, also a Swiss team. Basel, Getafe, Trapsenspor and Krasnoda. That's a group where all four teams are pretty much level. I mean, um, Basel and Getafe. Basel, I know Basel quite well. Team in transition a little bit. Uh, Trabzonspor, uh, you know, the Turkish teams are always tra hard to travel to. And Getafe, Spanish club. I mean, yeah, they always do well wow. in Europe. Um, another Spanish club, and we've actually had them already in the Football Grab Network, um, leading up into the playoffs. Um, Espanol. They're in a group mm -hmm. with Ferencvaros, Ludogorets, and CSKA Moscow. So that's a, that's a really attractive group. Uh, visits to Budapest, Bulgaria, and I mean, again, Barcelona, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's actually, I think, a group that we can really much look forward to. Some really interesting games because I don't think we've before this season we featured um, Ferencvaros and Espanyol very much. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then we got a really, really strongly flavored football grad uh, network uh, group with Ghent, Alexandria. From Ukraine, first time in the group stage, Wolfs Wolfsburg and Saint Etienne. Um, my gut instinct here is that Wolfsburg and Saint Etienne are the favorites yeah. to go through. Um, Wolfsburg in particular, very very good rebuild for them under Bruno Labbadia. That's being continued right now. Um, 
bei Glasner. So, they have, they have a very good team right now, have started well in the Bundesliga too. So, it's, that's going to be an interesting group. I'm curious to see how Alexandria will get on. Um, small Ukrainian club, um, very well run Ukrainian club. So, good for them. Um, will be, will be a fun group to watch. But, uh, Tim, Champions League. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where it really is at. Locomotive Moscow. This is a difficult group. Yes. They got Atletico Madrid, Bayer Leverkusen and Juventus. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's pretty much for them. Uh, even third place is going to be pretty yeah. hard for them, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Atletico Juventus to be club of contenders to win yeah. the, <laughs> the Champions League, right? Yeah. Uh, by Leverkusen, well, you know better than I am, but, uh, well, I, I don't think Lokomotiv is stronger than by Leverkusen. And yeah, the purchase of Jao Mario doesn't really help you with all those teams. So, yeah, that's uh, a, yeah, it's a tough group. Very difficult to navigate. I mean, even by Leverkusen, they will have looked at this and they're like, oh, you know, we have a very good team, but we will have to be perfect against Atletico and Juventus if you want to get out of this group. And this is very much what they want to, because they spoke, um, to the CEO for an article I did do for Forbes, right? And, um, their goal is to get out of the Champions League group. And, um, I think they can do it. They, I think Bayer Leverkusen are strong enough to beat Juventus and Atletico Madrid on a good day, right? Um, but that means that basically you have three teams from three out of the four top leagues in Europe compete mm-hmm. <laughs> compete for two spots to advance and like even the Europa League spot is like oh yeah that's that's going to be a very fascinating group to watch uh very much looking forward to seeing that um then we got Zenit this is a is an interesting group because I think I actually um I believe RB Leipzig are probably the favorites in this one but mm-hmm. the other three teams um, are pretty much on par. I mean, RB Leipzig have spent a lot of money. They managed to extend their contract with Timo Werner, which is uh, something that we did not expect to happen, right? Everyone thought he's going to go to Bayern. Mm-hmm. They have Julian Nagelsmann. They signed uh, Patrick Schick um, on the transfer deadline day. So they, they've already st- they strengthened an even better better side. We spoke about it on the Game Pressing podcast yesterday. We actually think that they could win the champion, the German title this year. Um, they one of three teams to fight for the German title this year, um, for sure. So this is this is a very strong club with maybe the best manager in Europe right now, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, or the best talented manager in Europe right now. So this is going to be interesting. But Zenit, Lyon, Benfica, Leipzig—I mean, this is something where you know, for Zenit, this is this they could advance from this. Yeah, but the, all the teams are so like equal. Uh, I think it will be really a game like who will take points out of who. And I be, I agree with you that Leipzig, I, I see them as favorites. I, I don't know if they're going to go in the first, second place, but I see them qualifying. And then Leon Benfica and Zenit, well, I think, yeah, that will be... Uh, it's pro- probably one of the most even, if not the most even group in the, in the um, Champions League this year. Yeah, I, I would go along with that because Zenit have spent so much money, right? Um, you almost want to be worried a little bit if you're Benfica. Yeah, because they lost Jao Mario, they're like a uh, big star. Uh, at, at the same time, Benfica has been ideal, just ideal in, in their own league because I think with the new coach, they didn't lose something like 14 games in mm-hmm. a row until they recently met Porto. They won Super Cup 
against Sporting 5 nothing, which is also pretty impressive. So Benfica is also pretty, pretty much doing good. Zenit, they have experienced players. Yeah. They have players who played in the, in the Champions League. And Lyon is always like, Lyon is a regular for Champions League. So like, you can't really um, see them like really failing. So very cool group, um, but I think a little bit more chances than Lokomotiv in terms of <laughs> progressing to the next stage. Absolutely. I mean, Leipzig and met each other two years ago in the Europa League. Um, mm-hmm. Leipzig advanced. So we'll see a rematch. Um, speaking of rematches, Tim, Schachter <laughs> Donetsk in a group with Man City for the third time Surprise. in a row. Oh my word. I mean, Man City must be laughing about this group because they got Dinamo Zagreb and Atalanta. Dinamo Zagreb, you know, very good in talent production, probably one of the best in Europe. Uh, Dani Olmo, surprise, surprise, actually stayed with the club. Um, very talented Spanish player that they developed. Um, you don't often hear them, the Croatian club developing a Spanish player, but, uh, they convinced him to stay for the group stage. I, I bet you he will be off in the winter. Um, Atalanta, you know, Serie A club where, been you know working very hard and um sort of like a very well-run club that's come out of nowhere saw them in the europa league a few years ago against the uh, borussia dortmund when they were in the early stages of development um they're doing very good work but for city they must be just like we can walk this group i mean uh-huh. such an easy group for them for the other three however and this includes Schachter Donetsk, this means they can advance Exactly, yeah. Like, Shakhtar Donetsk might be even the favorites out of yeah. those three just because of their experience. And, uh, you know, they, they brought in Konoplyanka, which is a transfer yeah. we uh, also interesting for us. Um, Dynamo Zagreb, yeah, they always have tough times in, in Champions League. Yes, they're good at producing talent, but can they compete? Atalanta, yeah, this is the club which is interesting. They first time made in, in Champions League. Gasperini has been doing very good job there uh but again it's it's a debut in champions league it's a completely different level so i think Shakhtar can be uh, very hopeful in terms of progressing to their playoffs um but, but again the Shakhtar and man city games they probably already hate each other like since they play in every single year so yeah but um but yeah i think it's a good group Shakhtar actually out of all football group teams it might be the best one you know yeah i think so too because it's manageable and, and manageable yeah um Shakhtar, of course start very well into the ukrainian season six games six wins um we're going to have vadim on soon again i promise to, to discuss it a little bit but i mean they they had just such a strong start and it really as a club they just know what they're doing a uh, little bit of news. They had an offer for Tyson from Milan and, um, yeah, that didn't, it didn't work out very well. Um, the transfer fell through at the last moment. Tyson issued a statement saying, thank you that you ended my dream. Oh, it's such an important player for them, right? So, um, maybe not, not great that that didn't work out. Um, as you said, they signed in, signed given Kono Blanca. Maybe to anticipate that a little bit, the, the issues that could come up with, with Tyson, because I mean, that's a left winger. Um, yeah, but I mean, on the other hand, they're such a well-run club. They lost, uh, Paulo Fonseca to Roma, right? Their head coach, one of the best coaches, in my opinion, in Europe, footballing wise. They brought in Luis Castro and it's like clockwork. They brought in, they identified the right coach for the right, for the club. They brought him in and he's basically just continuing the project that was started by Lugesco so many years ago. I mean, they're so well run in that regard. And I, I think that they're, they're going to go deep in the Champions League. Um, just because of what they got in this group. So yeah. Um, 
good one for them. So, Tim, that's, that concludes our Champions League preview. Um, we're going to, of course, the closer we get to the competition, we're going to address um, this again. But Russia national team, um, you playing Scotland in uh, in Glasgow, I believe. I don't want to mm-hmm. mess up capitals. Um, it's not the capital, <laughs> by the way. I know that Glasgow is not the capital. It's it's Edinburgh. But, um, you know, name changes and all that, it has surprised me in the past because they also play in Kazakhstan, but thankfully at home in Kaliningrad, um, a city that has already changed its name. So I don't anticipate another name change there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be scarred forever on this, Tim, but, um, we were talking before the pot, Russia win those two games, they're through. Pretty much, yeah. Like, uh, because like, uh, Russia is, uh, Belgium is on 12 points, Russia is on 9, and then Kazakhstan and Scotland, the two teams which they're playing against, are on 6 points. So pretty much win those, both teams, and you will be within 3 to 6 points, uh, away from, from those, uh, from those teams. So, the crucial game, um, I believe in Russia, like, especially at home versus Kazakhstan, should be doing well. Uh, Scotland hasn't been impressive in the, in the previous years. Obviously playing at home, uh, Scotland will be, you know, supported by the, by the full, I think they play Hampton Park, by the full stadium. And, um, but I think Russia is, you know, has enough experience to uh, at least get a point or maybe even win uh, in Scotland. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about those games. The game against Scotland is on Friday, um, Friday morning in Vancouver and obviously mm. Friday evening in, in, in the, in the, in Europe. So good game, but uh, Russia is looking good. And again, like, for Russian team, Russia is not the world beaters in terms of like the whole European and world football. At this point, Russia just needs to qualify. Somehow, it doesn't matter how, they just need to qualify. And then, because we talked about it, Stanislav Chevchesov is really keen into his pre-work and pre-season, pre-season, uh, pre-season, pre-tournament organization. He will get them for one month and he will run them like crazy and Russia will be in a good physical condition and then it will be this disgusting and a good way team to play against because we will be so fighting and, and so physical. So right now when he doesn't have time to prepare, it just, it just, it's all about qualifying. Yeah. Doesn't matter how, we just need to get through to the Euros. And big one too, because like they're going to have home games at the Euros, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's the, it's the gigantic Euros that are all over the continent. You have, they have home games in St. Petersburg, which is a good stadium for them, you know, to play at. Um, I did the World Cup game in, in St. Petersburg. Um, and it is, it is a ground that they, they usually do quite well in. So yeah, um, be really important for them to get through. Um, I don't want to forget our Ukrainian friends. They're playing Lithuania. Um, and <laughs> Ukraine. Have the they have the qualification game against Lithuania and then they have a friendly against uh, Nigeria, I believe. Um, big game for them because they're on ten points after four games, and the the next team is Luxembourg in second place on only four points. Mm-hmm. So you know they win their game and they're pretty much through, um, which is very good news for them. Um, so yeah, Ukraine on on the path through. But I also want to mention. We actually have, an, I made this big mistake yesterday on the podcast, Tim, because I hosted. And I asked Chris if he was like looking forward to the international break because he usually gets that time off. And he's like, Manu, you're sending me to Wales to watch Wales against <laughs> Azerbaijan. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, you know, I take one day off and I'm just getting completely frazzled. Um, yes, we do have Chris Williams at the Wales games and uh, the Wales national team. They, they're playing Belarus and Azerbaijan. 
So, yeah, so yeah. This is who we need, need to have next week on the podcast. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get him on. Um, it'd be, it'd be really interesting. And he's going to both those games. So he's going to be in Wales on Friday to see Azerbaijan. Um, hopefully he can get us so, some voices. Like, um, Shadaev is one player that would be interesting for us, right? From yeah. Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, of course, also hosting World, uh, European Championship games in Baku. Um, always nice and controversial. And then Belarus. Also at the Cardiff City Stadium. So they're a nice double header back to back. Um, really nice for the football card network because it's really easy to, to, um, cover, but that's a friendly. So, um, not a qualification game, but yeah, for Wales, that's a must win game against Azerbaijan because they are only on three points. They're in a group of Hungary, Slovakia, um, and Croatia. Croatia. And that's, yeah. I mean, we all know that Croatia is probably going to finish in that top two, right? Um, uh-huh. one way or another. So really big game for them. Um, for Azerbaijan, zero points. I guess they'll be hosting games without actually having a team. Um, <laughs> we, we know how that went last time when they had the European champ, the Euro, the, the Europa League final in Baku. It was not the, the most well seen, um, final <laughs> ever. But yeah, I'm really, really interested to hear Chris's experience. So we, we'll have to try to get him on and uh, chat a little bit to us about it because, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a, a good experience for him. But yeah, Tim, that's pretty much it. I did not forget Chris Williams. So <laughs> I, I've already done better on this podcast than I did yesterday. <laughs> no, it is great. It was great. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think we've done, we covered everything. Um, we had a long, long list of things to cover this week and we managed to do it even though it was just the two of us. So, uh, really happy with how this all went. So, but Tim, uh, floor is yours. What do you want to pluck, uh, anything you're doing, etc. Floor is yours. Uh, yeah, well, I'm doing the, obviously like I'm back into doing some music, took a summer off, but I'm organizing a, a little punk festival in Squamish. That's a beautiful place, uh, near bridge, uh, near Vancouver. And it's uh, on the way to Whistler. People know usually Whistler. So we will doing a little punk two day punk festival, which I'm organizing. And then I'm already planning for the next year, uh, some, some music stuff. Uh, but yeah, if you want to follow that, it's on uh, Russian Tim 61 on Twitter. And also on Instagram, Rocket from Russia. Yeah, very nice. Squamish is a beautiful place. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great rock climbing, etc. So good coffee there too. Um, if you like coffee. So if you have the time to go, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're in the area, I know uh, it's still a summer break in a lot of Europe. So if you're from Europe and you happen to visit Canada, then go, go check it out. It's a, it's a really nice place. Um, over on the football grad network, we'll have our previews for the Germany game, the Russia game, um, I believe the Ukraine games as well. They will all go up on, uh, on footballgrad.com. Uh, Fußballstadt, I did an article on Patrick Schick yesterday, a scout report on what he can add to RB Leipzig. Spoke to John Solano from Roma Press, a really nice guy, knows his Italian football like no one else. Um, so like there's a, there's, I interviewed him about the player and he had some really interesting things to say. So if you're interested in that, um, head, that, head over to fußballstadt.com. And I did a, a transfer summary on Forbes for Bundesliga transfer summary. Um, so that's, that's already published. It's on my timeline. Um, so yeah, lots of things going on, even though it's the international break and, uh, always staying busy and yeah, all content can be found either on my Twitter account at Manuel Veth. Uh, VETH or at Football Grad Live. Well, Tim, that's it. Until next week. Das Vidanya. Sayonara.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.